Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of For the Love of Sports. Today, we have Scott San Emeterio. Uh, Might have bitchered that a little bit, but Scott was a lot of fun to talk to. He is a finance guy at heart who decided to create a finance-type application for sports. Um, So we're going to dive very deep into that. It's called Ball Street. Everything will be in the show notes, so you guys make sure to go check that out. But very cool conversation, getting to talk to him about some of the stuff that they've done. We recorded this right before the national championship game, so uh, not too far out of touch, but it's definitely very interesting to hear some of the things that they're doing at Ball Street and some of the ways that they're really starting to engage their clientele and hopefully turning it into a uh, full-fledged betting operation soon. So a lot of fun, so I hope you guys enjoy the conversation with Scott. Emeterio, Scott San Emeterio, uh, CEO and founder of Ball Street Trading. Uh, Scott, appreciate you hanging out with me today, man. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's always great to do these types of things and always excited to talk to people who are doing fun stuff in the industry. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is a lot of fun, uh, as I tell everybody, and as I just told you about five seconds ago, but we didn't hit the record button. Um, this is my favorite thing I get to do, and I hope that that shows. Um, and the more we do, the better we get, right? The more practice, perfect practice makes perfect, and then maybe one day. There we go, brother. There we go. 200 for the year. We'll see how it goes. Um, but Scott, first question I always like to ask is, why do you love sports? What is it about sports that made you want to say, you know, I have this sweet VP job at Credit Suisse, but you know what? Let's hop out of there and start a finance car. Let's start a, let's do a sports tech startup. Yeah, seriously. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, you know, I thought that I was always a, a big sports fan and now spending a year, year and a half really in the sports space full time. Um, I don't even know if I can consider myself a sports fan anymore. There are people who are super, super into sports, like literally to angles and statistics and data that I never even knew existed. And it's wild and crazy to sort of understand that this, I, again, I thought I was in the subculture of being a sports fan. If you ask my wife, she thinks I'm the biggest sports fan on earth. Mm-hmm. But I try to tell her every day I, I am far, <laughs> I am far from. Oh, that is too funny. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. So I mean, I, I, I do work in sports obviously, but I could see where you're coming from, especially with, and we'll get to in a little bit, kind of like a gambling tilt. Um, you know, the, what, what people can really be into. Um, and maybe I'm not that deep. Maybe it's, maybe it's a little more surface. I, th- I think I scratched just below surface level. Like I kind of, I can understand concepts. Baseball is my sport, but I mean, I love football. I mean, all weekend I'm excited pretty much once I'm off this, um, it's just football. You know, we're just, I'm going to be talking about it, hanging out with friends and then all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And then Monday night college football championship, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. You know, the, the other crazy thing about all this too, it probably, we've been developing this for a couple of years now and I've probably watched more sports while we've been developing this, obviously watching the markets that we're creating as these games are being played. Um, but there's this weird disconnect that I now have when I watch some of these games. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm watching in a market context. I'm watching it for how we're doing right with the app and how we can potentially do things better where I can literally sit in front of the television, trade the market, watch the entire game, and someone will sort of ask me a question about a specific player, about something specific that happened and either my, my brain doesn't soak it in or I can give you what happened in the market as opposed mm-hmm. to literally what the, the, the specific player did. Cause like I used to do fantasy. I was never really a big DFS guy, uh-huh. um, was a huge poker player back in the day. Um, so now it's sort of a, a high level, I don't even say understanding of what's going on in sports. Certainly can sit and have as long a conversation as anyone wants, but uh, probably more of the, the PTI level sort mm-hmm. of the headline. Okay. Yeah. Sort of dig into what, what's sort of happening of, of news of the day. Um, but if you still want to, if you want to sit there and start talking about player specific statistics, I'm probably not, probably mm-hmm. not your guy. No, no. And I get that great analogy too. That is, that is, yeah. Headline level, really understanding like the deeper than the casual fan. Um, it sure. sounds like, but I mean, working in sports, I mean, it's so, so one reason I wanted to start this project, um, I mean, there's a million reasons, but one of the, one of the reasons was to give people an understanding that, you know, I growing up wanted to work in sports. 
Um, and I didn't realize till only a couple of years ago, what the hell does that mean? You can, you can work in anything, right? Like yeah. you want to do finance, you want to do marketing, you want to be an athlete, you want to be on the field, you event management, ticket sales. Like there's so many things you can do when working in sports that when I started my company and really started networking, where how I met people like you and, and Nick Hayden through the, uh, sport biz group, Rob Cressy of Bacon Sports. There's just so many people that I've met that I'm just like, I didn't know this existed. Like I had no idea this entire, all these crazy companies and ideas and even just things for teams existed. So I just think it's so cool. And, you know, being a sports fan um, and, you know, I do, you know, obviously want to talk about ball street, but what, what made you want to make that jump going from, as I said, I mean, just to name off a few, you work for Morgan Stanley, Deutsche Bank, Bear Stearns and Credit Suisse. Um, so, I mean, those are some relatively household names to most people that are out there listening. I mean, you did some pretty cool stuff. Um, and you were in some of these jobs for, for a minute to say the least. And now you said, you know, what is it that made you want to make that leap, make that jump to say, I want to work in sports now. And not only that, I want to do this real specific, crazy thing that maybe no one's ever thought of before. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I spent 13 years at Credit Suisse and I was there on the, Sometimes, Wait, I'm sorry. Is, is it Swiss or Swiss? Uh, it depends on who you're talking to. In New York, okay. you said Swiss. If you spoke to someone in London, it was Swiss. Oh, interesting. So for whatever reason, <laughs> I always heard it as Swiss, but that's good. Little information. Learn something <laughs> new every day. Sorry about that. Keep going. So I was over there. I was on the, uh, on the, on the trading desk, uh, specifically doing subprime from 2007 to 2010. So I was literally there on the front lines every day. If you've seen The Big Short or read The Big Short, that was literally my life. Wow. So coming out of that, it was more of a realization that financial services probably wasn't going to take me to where I wanted to go specifically in my career um, or, you know, do the things that I wanted my professional life to, to ultimately become. I mean, there's really no secret. You know, when I was growing up, it was, you know, mom, dad, I want to be rich. What should I do? It was like, go work on Wall Street. Yep. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. And then, you know, I graduated undergrad in 2001, walked right into 9-11. And then by the time I had got the, you know, my career back on track after the market sort of did what it does after these, these, you know, terrible events, I walk right into this subprime mess. So it was more of the realization of, do I really want to give the next 20 years to financial services? Mm -hmm. And the, the answer was pretty easy. No. Um, so when I then sat and thought about the things that I really enjoyed about, uh, you know, finance, certainly about some of the things I was doing outside of work where I played a lot of poker back in the early two thousands, um, and certainly loved the idea of trading. And admittedly, not a big sports better. Um, that's not to say that when my buddies are around and we throw a little bit of money on the game and certainly can appreciate and love the aspect of having a little action on something, it was how do I create something that uh, uses the best of all of those worlds where I, as the player, have total control to the decisions that I'm making and ultimately define my success or failure. Um, I was, like I said, I wasn't a big DFS guy, um, but you know the idea of poker and the idea of trading of me getting into a trade or me making a quote unquote bet um, and then being able to get out of that if I thought that my opinion at the time was wrong was always something that I thought was interesting and back when the idea sort of hit me this is late 2015-2016 where we're dealing with PASPA, we're dealing with UGIA, we're dealing with the Wire Act, we're dealing with the chaos of DraftKings and FanDuel and what they're going through with all their customer service issues with the AG going after mm -hmm. them. It was how do we sort of maneuver and orchestrate a plan that will keep us away from all of this stuff and still create something interesting and new? Um, and that's where we came with the contest con uh, concept, um, level, you know, layer in the trading aspect of it, and then realistically having this set, um, this set plan going forward and then understanding, well, everyone doesn't really understand or want to trade a market during Monday Night Football, so how do we create something for the casual recreational fan? And that was really what we focused the next couple of years on, on simplifying everything, making it as approachable as possible so that the casual guy who just wants to have something unique or a, a different experience than placing a single bet would have that opportunity and create, um, like I said, that experience and enhancement, hopefully, of watching that game. And that's sort of what we get back from a lot of players is that they're watching games they wouldn't really have cared about. And they're certainly much more engaged in the outcome of these games because they feel like they're actually a part of it and have now this tangible uh, opportunity to be a part of it themselves. Yeah, I, I think it's such a cool concept. I know you and I connected, I mean, I don't even know, like eight, nine months ago when you told me about, yeah. you know, what you're doing. And I, I just, I think it's super, super cool. And I love the idea. Um, never heard about it, but it, I mean, it makes sense. So I was, uh, I, was a little bit of a stockbroker um, right out of college, same thing, and quickly realized, not a little bit quicker than you did, but quickly realized that it was not for me, and I got out as, as quick as, as 
immediately. And it just, you know, it, it's for some people and more power to them, man, but it's just not something I wanted to spend my entire life doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting coming from that background and seeing really what ball street is and how it works. I mean, if people haven't really figured it out yet, ball street, wall street, it's pretty, pretty easy, um, you know, concept right there. But if you don't mind really just explaining exactly what it is and how it works. Cause I remember the first time I played it and it was electric. It was the, um, Saints Texans Monday night game that the Texans scored a, a, a field goal or a touchdown with like nine seconds left or whatever. And I remember I sold all my stock in one and, uh, and then I was like, but what if the Saints come back? So I bought all the stock <laughs> at the bottom. I ended up in like the top two or something. So if you don't mind just explaining like what it is and how it works so that more people out there can get a good understanding. Yeah, sure. So I think from a super, super high level, all it really is, is a live prediction game. What we've effectively done is given you the opportunity to change your mind whenever you want. By using a market, we now allow both basically opinions on what the outcome ultimate will be to find an equilibrium, which we simply use as price. So if you look at a lot of how operators are doing in-play gaming now, it's on some level the same type of format, but we've created a contest around it. We've created a market where we have now market rules that help really dictate exactly when and how you should be buying, which we think creates really interesting levels of strategy, which hopefully will be able to create uh, a system for players um, that they can get in and have multiple types of experiences every time a new game comes. Um, the actual format itself, it's a pretty standard prediction market in that our markets trade from zero to 100 based off the of win probability. We give you a portfolio of assets, much like you would start a poker tournament with chips. Everyone starts with the same number of chips. In our case, everyone starts with the same portfolio. So you'll get 100 shares of each team. So you'll get 100 shares of LSU. You'll get 100 shares of Clemson. And we're also going to give you $2,000 in virtual currency. So that is now your portfolio to buy and sell whenever you want. The market is literally always open and we're changing our prices every second. So as more players come into the market wanting to buy LSU, LSU shares will go up. As more players come into the market wanting to sell Clemson, those shares will go down. The only thing that affects the price is the volume from the buyers and the sellers themselves. There's no third-party API. There's no model behind it. There's no statistics. It's simply if more people want LSU shares, that price is going to go up. At the end of the game, which drives all of this, is the value of those winning shares will be at 100. The value of the losing shares will be at zero. So certainly it's in your incentive to always be buying low and selling high and trying to, throughout the game, collect as many shares of the team you ultimately think is going to win. That all being said, this is a completely real-time marketplace so that you don't necessarily really need to worry about who's going to win the game until probably the fourth quarter. So in the first half of the game, you want to worry about who's going to score next, right? Because that's where you think the action and the volatility is going to be for those specific teams, which lead us back into its game flow. And it's a way to predict literally in real time what you think the short-term outcome is going to be, giving you potential to make 20, 30, 50 trades in a single game, giving you the opportunity to really have that experience of placing lots of tiny little bets and get that endorphin rush and really scratch the itch of what we're all trying to do when we, when we hopefully, you know, are able to make a bet on a game or at least enjoy the experience of competing now against everyone else watching the game. Like I said, this is completely peer to peer. So the idea of you making a $20 bet that the Yankees are going to win versus now you potentially coming in and playing on ball street and trading against 47,000 people. We think that story is something that will carry forward and hopefully begin to evolve the next five to 10 years of what the gaming space will be. Yeah, man. I think just with the betting landscape, as as you were kind of going over it before and everything with DraftKings FanDuel back in the day when it was kind of, it was like, it, I mean, it's sketchy now with some of the stuff that's happening back, back yeah. when they really started. It was, it was, uh, it was alarming to say the least. Um, so one, one thing that popped into my head, a couple things, obviously, but with, with the length of a football game, I mean, it's three hours. I mean, we're talking the national championship game. We all know that oh, game's God, going. Go it's going to be. Five. It's going to be four and a half hours, and I'm going to watch every second of it. Hand up, I love that shit. But like, how do you keep someone engaged for that entire time? Because understanding the person that's paying the most attention. I'm not going to say that person's going to win, but they have the best opportunity sure. to see when things happen. And, you know, I can get really excited for something in the first quarter and by 1030, like, all right, like I really don't want to stare at my phone anymore. I kind of want to watch the game. So what are you guys doing to try and make it so it's not only accessible and easy from an understanding standpoint, but making sure that you can engage someone for four, four and a half hours, especially with these college football games? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality when you think of college football, which is probably the longest duration event mm -hmm. that we have in the U.S., um, it's hard. And I, I, mean, it's I love really every hard. second of it. 
I love okay. it. I watch college football every Saturday, all Saturday. Like I'm all for it, man. It's hard for the East Coast. I one of my guys, he works in Vegas, so he's always three hours ahead or behind. So for him, it's like, yeah, this is done at ten o'clock. What are we doing tonight? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, it's, it's one o'clock in the morning. Yep. I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm going to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's really, really hard. Um, so I think one of the ways we we try to do it is create this contest structure so that there's at least some incentive for you to try to stay and stay engaged in the game. And that's ultimately what our value proposition will be to brand sponsors, teams, leagues, anyone that we think we can help drive their content. Uh, I think one of the things that we're going to look to expand on in 2020 are different types of markets, specifically shorter duration markets where we can do first quarter, first half. We can do even a page out of the old school sit and goes in poker where let's just have a 30 minute market. The first five people will sign up. They'll be in their own market together. They'll trade against a broader market, but they'll only compete against each other. And after 30 minutes, the player with the highest P&L will win that specific set for the, that specific time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, 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 I like that. Especially with, you know, I, so I wasn't huge into gambling. Not really. I've always liked to pay attention to like lines and, you know, who's favored, who's not. Um, I think it's LSU five and a half right now, five and a half, yeah, six. Five and last half, time yeah. I saw it, which how you bet against Clemson, I don't know, but I, hey, that is what it is. But it's just one of those, like, I never really dug too deep into it until it really did start becoming more a part of the lexicon and recently, especially DraftKings FanDuel. And then once everyone started talking, well, it's going to be legal. Um, I started to pay attention to it. I never knew like live betting. I never really understood that you could just bet a first half. Like yep. my brother bets, he's not like a degenerate or anything, but you know, he doesn't really bet full games. It's always like, you know, Houston third quarter, you know, Houston over third quarter, like over whatever the number is. And like, that's kind of how he looks at it. And I found the more I talked to professional gamblers it's less about the whole game and really understanding the situations within the game where you can kind of pick and choose where you where a lot of trends exist um so i think that's a really great um way of doing it especially again like it's difficult to to have someone engage for four hours staring at their phone um another question that comes up that you know hopefully you're not going to have to deal with anytime soon um is what we were just talking about before with DraftKings and FanDuel and some of the the shady stuff that was going on in the beginning and and even now you know yesterday I had um, another episode uh with Jason Mizrahi who owns Win uh Win Daily Sports which yep. is a, a daily fantasy site um and I was talking to him about like how corrupt I mean I don't know if corrupt might be a little over the top but how much the cards are stacked towards the people that put in 150 lineups with the optimizer that are doing it with their three friends. So they really get a thousand lineups. How have you guys like forward thinking, what are you trying to do to make sure that there aren't people like that? There aren't computers or bots that can kind of infiltrate what you're doing and, and trade faster and be smarter than just, you know, Joe Schmo sitting on his couch, just trying to enjoy the game and throwing a couple bucks around. Yeah, we try to do a couple of these things. I think for right now, us being a free-to-play model, this is really us trying to educate ourselves on yeah. how people are going to react in the, in the markets. Um, certainly, we have a responsibility to make sure that the markets themselves are protected and regulated in that you don't have certain people coming in, pushing down a specific share price where they, you know, the master account, quote-unquote, can come in, buy cheaper shares, and push themselves into the, uh, the quote-unquote, winner circle. I think the approach that we're taking with the flat democratic payout where we're paying out the top 20% really dilutes the effect or at least the incentive that someone would go in there trying to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't DFS where there's a million dollar prize at the top. Even if we were doing real money, the real money structure would look pretty similar to what we're doing today in the free to play in that we would create different tiers, much like you would in a poker table or you would at a blackjack table. Do you want to play for five bucks, 25 bucks, a hundred bucks? And we would be able to segregate each of those player pools to where you're now only competing against those types of buy-ins. So mm-hmm. if you're going to come in and begin to try to manipulate the market, putting your $100 entry in to win whatever the multiplier is for that specific event, because we're playing out top 50%, top 20%, top 5%, whatever it is, you know, for us, it's about trying to stay ahead of the curve to make the math just not make sense and really try to minimize any incentive that a player would come in and have to do that. Now, the idea of having sharp action or at least people who now potentially want to plug into our API, which we want to have be part of the, the broader landscape of, you know, when we have 50,000 people in the market, um, we want this to be as accessible for both our players, but certainly the content that can be created for, for you know, strategy and all these different things that create uh, a culture around now trading sports as opposed to simply just watching them or, or drafting a specific team. Um, these are things that we're obviously going to have to look at pretty closely to figure out exactly is there incentive on us to have a delayed API to where you don't have the bot 
that's automatically going to go in and buy five shares because the price went down 2%. Um, you know, at the, the other side of all this too is looking a couple of years post the Bitcoin boom and all the algos and automated traders that happened on Coinbase or on, uh, on, on any of the exchanges. Um, you know, our ability to try and, 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 and defend against that is, is one that we really have to think about in, in unique and interesting ways. Um, I don't know that we have all the answers. We certainly have a number of ways that we think we're going to start to implement those things once real money becomes part mm -hmm. of the equation. Um, for the free-to-play model, it's really going to be about learning. And as we figure out what those fundamental and foundational changes and rules, we'll begin to implement them. I can already say that you know, the algorithm that we had in January has already gone through a number of different makeovers to tighten up, to create the right amount of volatility. We don't want markets going from 30 to 70 in two prints. That's not fun for anyone, right? To mm -hmm. the point of the guy who's either staring at his phone or the guy who has his API plugged in, just because Aaron Judge hits a home run and the Yankees are now 75% to win, well, that, that's not the good experience for the guy who's with his buddies at the bar and he had a beer in his hand. Now he has to go find his phone and that takes 30 seconds to 60 seconds. We don't want him to miss that trade. Mm -hmm. you know, he might not be able to buy 35s, but he should be able to buy 42s or 45s or 50s as the market begins to move in that direction. So mm -hmm. for us, it's really creating that video game feel and the idea of how do we defend against some of you know ulterior motives where they will come once money gets on the line. It's just really about creating a rule set that uh, defends best it can any incentive that someone has to begin to twist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you put it great. Like once money is involved, people will, th that stuff will oh, start to happen, right? Like we all know that. So I think it's great that you guys are at least you're obviously ahead of the curve. And I mean, you seem like a pretty smart guy, but I'm sure there's some stuff, there's people out there, they're going to game the system. And once you find it, as long as you can kind of cut it as quickly as possible. And, you know, I mean, that's, it's just going to happen with these, you know, with betting being more a part of what we're doing now today there's in sports a, culture. There's a million edge cases. And for us too, we have all the trading history. So for us, it's pretty easy to identify patterns and, and then at that point begin to ban people or at least put put notice out there that yeah. this type of activity is no longer going to be accepted. Um, you know, you know, the reality too is if we're going to have a market with 50,000 people in it, the market itself will regulate. Um, and if there are a couple of bad actors, we hope that we're able to sort of drown them out with the protection we're able to provide, whether that's intramarket, pre-market, or even if we have to go back to the tape and figure out exactly what was going on and, and how we got to, to stop this going forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is super cool, though. And, and again, it, like, it completely makes sense with your background, what you did. And I mean, you, you've brought up poker a lot of times, and I can see obviously the influence there. I mean, the Wall Street aspect, it's, it's stock trading just with yeah. sports instead. So I mean, I think, I think it's a really cool idea. And, you know, hopefully, you know, crossing my fingers, man, that it is, it is, uh, it works really well for you guys. So one um, outside of well, more on, I guess, you a little bit, like, what was that jump like? I, I know you said, you know, you didn't want to live in the finance for the rest of your life. That's not something you wanted to do. But taking that leap of faith is, is, is exactly that. You're jumping off a cliff and you're saying, I'm pretty sure there's a net down there. I, I'm pretty positive, but you might not be able to see it. I mean, what was that like? And, and was it more of a transition in and out? Or was it just a straight, like, if I don't do this, you, you know, I'm not going to do it kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of all those things. I was a Credit Suisse, like I said, for 13 years. So the last couple of years I was there um, was nights, weekends, developing Wall Street. Um, so I always knew that this was going to be something that eventually I'm going to have to make the jump. Um, I was fortunate enough to create a situation at Credit Suisse when I walked away that everything was on good terms. Um, so when I left Credit Suisse, it gave me the opportunity now to really focus full time on Wall Street. So I left Credit Suisse October 2018. So I've been doing this a touch more than a year full time. Um, that being said, when you're dealing with literally something brand new, like this is we are almost creating a brand new genre of gaming um, in around a time that you could argue is either the best or worst time to be a startup in this space depends <clears> on the day and uh, trying to figure out now the, the team that, that we have at Wall Street has been incredible up to this point. Um, but making that jump, that's just another level of fear in that now I am now not only dependent on myself, I'm dependent on everyone else who's been a part of this and will now continue to be a part of this going forward. I think 2019 for us was a great year in that we were able to get some traction. We got some real numbers on the app. So we were able to feel comfortable that we have a product market fit, that the market will use something like this. And for us, 2020 is going to be about identifying and securing key partnerships that will hopefully put us on a platform um, that validates 
the company validates the idea to where we can start to make some noise to where we can start to leverage those partnerships and ideally think about things in a much broader level, whether that's with teams, leagues, stadiums, media partners. And then ideally, you know, our, our plan is to push this free to play model as hard as long as we can, and then eventually put our hand up and ideally go work with an operator and turn this on real money. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Real money. That's, I think that's when you guys start finding some of the revenue as well, which is always yeah. fun. Um, so, so as you said, 2020 is going to be key for, for, partnerships i don't know if you can talk about it but like what does like in a brand partner what 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 would they be getting in something like this like is it the data is it just the uh, awareness and recognition like what what are some of the things you guys are pitching to these companies yeah. and saying hey look we have what do you say 46 48,000 people signed up working going playing in these markets like here's what you can expect yeah, so I think when we when we go out and we try to pitch the value that we're ultimately bringing to a brand sponsor that comes in, it's, it's a couple different things. And certainly the user data, the behavioral analytics of people watching real-time events is one that isn't really captured at this point. So I think mm-hmm. part of what we pitch out is Nielsen on steroids. Because if I say, imagine if ABC had the opportunity to show a specific commercial to a specific person at a specific time, would that be something they're interested in? Yes. Because that's what we're going to be able to do. Yeah. Because intra-game, we're going to be able to know that it's a two-minute warning. It's halftime or it's between, the third and, it's, between, it's between the third and fourth inning. So we're going to now put a specific message that makes sense in the context of the game. You're going to get the brand awareness of being now associated to that live event. We're going to offer the ability for brands to literally ask questions to players in real time without interfering with the experience of watching or trading the game itself. Um, so all of that user data that we now create and collect um, is something that we are able to offer back to the brands. Now, if you're the player, you now get a unique opportunity to have a free-to-play option where the brands are now going to pay you for your engagement and your attention. So this, in our opinion, is a win-win for everybody. So if you're a brand like Coca-Cola or Coors Light, um, why would you pay to have the right field at Yankee Stadium when you can come to Ball Street and give 100 players a free beer? Now, which, which players are leaving the Yankee Stadium happier? The guys who want a hundred, the guys that want a free beer playing Ball Street, the guys who stared at the Budweiser sign and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's a tangible way to be able to curate an experience that I think sports fans want. You know, the idea that gambling is now legal, gambling's always been quote unquote legal. People have always been gambling. Now this is just going to really, I think, shine a light on a little bit more acceptance um, and the ability to sort of say this isn't all bad, and especially when we're coming through this from a free to play model where we're literally trying to create a marketing company that acts like a gaming company. Mm-hmm. And if you're a fan, you get to come in and potentially win prizes anywhere from five, 10 or 20 bucks. That's more than the average bet that people are making on DraftKings. So I don't know how this doesn't ultimately roll itself into something really, really interesting over the long run, because this is really a great way to not only interact with fans, give them something unique, get them engaged in your product, whether it's the brand or the team, um, there's just so much to win here because this is a landscape that really hasn't been um, matured because of PASPA and, and basically the fear of brands and, and developers to be able to create something like this. This now just basically gives everyone a, a green light to go forward and try to create these things. You know, the quote-unquote predictive gaming space or the second screen space is one that is only going to start accelerating. You know, we're going to be a part of it. And what we want to really ultimately do is build some of the foundational pieces of what we think the next five to 10 years of sports are going to be like, I believe there's going to be a, a real time uh, betting exchange. Um, I believe that the leagues will ultimately become clearing houses and that the current operators will look very much like broker dealers do today where they'll just worry about flow. And instead of paying negative one you'll pay 1%. And instead of paying or instead of actually betting against negative one you'll bet against 52 as a percentage, because that's just much more easy for the casual fan to understand. I mean, mm-hmm. If you walk the streets and start asking people, you know, what, what are the odds on a parlay and what does plus 137 mean on your $250 bet? Like people are going to look at you, you have 10 heads. Mm-hmm. So I think everything needs to revert back to what's the simplest form, educate the public on how and why this works, and then go forward from there. The, idea of, the idea of ramming this European model down people's throats right now, I don't get it. And, you know, either I'm missing something or we're going to have to eventually take a step back. And I think the first companies that begin to do this are going to get rewarded. I think that's uh, an incredible point. I mean, I understand it now, kind of. Like, I, I understand yeah. negative means they're probably going to win. Positive means you're going to win money. And after that, I mean, the numbers kind of, they are what they are. The higher the number, the better or worse, the lower. Yeah. The, like, it, it's very confusing. And I'm 
there has to be an easier way. As you said, if you can take, everyone knows a hundred percent, right? That that's metric system. That's us imperial system, whatever you want to call it. We all know zero to a hundred. So if there's a way that you can do that, um, as you said, using the win probability, I mean, I pay attention to that as much as I probably pay attention to the minus five and a half for LSU, right? Like LSU is favored by five and a half. So, well, what does that mean in terms of what do we think they're, how, what are the chances they win out of a hundred percent? I don't remember exactly what that was. I didn't look it up recently, but it's just so much easier to see that, especially it's just a circle, right? A circle is it connects at the end. So we know this much is LSU, this much is Clemson, bing, bang, boom. Okay. looks like LSU is probably going to win. Um, you never know. I'm all for Coach O, but you never know. It is what it is. Go Tigers. Um, but I just think it's it, it makes way more sense, as you said, with this European model that, you know, you, if you don't know it, you don't know it. Like, I, I was legitimately over the holidays. I was hanging out. What was it? So, no, it wasn't the holidays. It was early December, watching the Ohio State-Wisconsin game. And I was sitting down with someone. They were they were hanging out on DraftKings a little bit. And Wisconsin, Ohio State scored. Wisconsin scored. Wisconsin scored again. I was like, yo live bet this Ohio state's going to win. We all know, but live bet it. He's like, let's wait, let's wait. Wisconsin scores again. Okay, cool. Let's live bet it. And I was like, all right, what's the, what's the odds Ohio state wins. And he was like, he had no idea a, what I was saying or what I meant, but he was like, I'm pretty sure Ohio state's going to win. So I'm going to bet money. I was like, well, how much do you win? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, what do you mean? You don't know. Like you do this, right? He's like, occasionally I was like, okay, cool. So like it very much speaks to, especially with as casual of a conversation betting has become, the fact that people literally have no idea if it's plus you win money, if it's minus you lose money, I feel like that's what like 80% of the people on DraftKings and FanDuel, I think that's really all they know. It's the casual fan that's making casual bets that don't necessarily care about the math, which is exactly what FanDuel and, and DraftKings yep. want, uh, yep. which, is, which is fair for them to say as a business. But the reality, I think, is it's, it's, it's predatory in the sense of, do you understand by paying negative 120, you're paying 20% to put that on? when you start doing the math and what your win rate needs to be. And again, this might, people might, might not care, right? If you're a casual better, you want to put 20 bucks cause it's entertainment and you're, it, it's more fun to watch the game with 20 bucks than going to the movies. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, that's the, the argument on the other side. So, you know, when we think about how operators run risk and how this new world is going to ultimately look, cause I think this all begins to lean into real time. I, I you know, another thing that, that I, you know, again, we, we put our money into this peer to peer model. I don't think operators acting as the center of risk and then being able to manage that risk effectively helps anyone. Because when you think about some of these in play odds, it's odds that they can pull off the table at any time. Once you place the bet, they have a number of seconds before they actually have to take the bet. And plus the odds you're ultimately getting, you know, who knows what the actual odds really are. Mm-hmm. But whatever they, their model says it's going to be, they're going to then juice it up a little bit and you're going to be playing even more behind all of that. So, you know, the idea of, like I said, this current version of in-play betting or even a lot of the conventional sports book mechanics and how they run their business model, I think the day Passport went down, it, 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 it all has to change. And if the companies, the operators aren't thinking about it in those terms, as in where is the 18-year-old going to bet in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How are they going to bet in 10 years? Because if they think, if you think they're going to your window and paying negative 110 on a total before the game, you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I mean, especially with like, I mean, what well, I think New Jersey, um, in New Hampshire, what was it? A couple of days, I, I can't remember. There was just some like ridiculous, some, some uh, state just legalized betting and like that Sunday for football, like it was insane. I can't remember exactly which one, but it was like $7 million put down in a single day for the first day of betting. So, I mean, there's just so much opportunity and yeah, I agree. I I kind of consider it predatory in the fact that you're letting people that have no idea what they're doing pretty much just hand you money. Um, now, as, as you said, the, this is the model. Is it DraftKings fault? Is it FanDuel's fault? I mean, is it, is it MGM bets fault? Like, is it their fault? Not really, but there is an education standpoint. Like you can explain this to people. Um, but then again, they can educate themselves, I guess, too. I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't necessarily blame them. I, what I would say is, are they taking the opportunity to sort of develop their business in a different way? Because, you know, tomorrow when Amazon decides it wants to be in this space, I yeah. promise you they're not doing what you're doing right? They're going to come in and it's going to be a completely different way. And everyone's going to say, Oh wow, this is so much better. So, you know, you start to now hear about some of the buzz with some of maybe the accelerators or some of these companies now looking at different innovative ways to do things. Um, I still think it's really, really early for that type of stuff. Um, As someone on the startup side of things, I would love to have these conversations with the operators, but 
even on some level, if you take financing off the table, I don't know what the incentive is for right now to, to begin to do that. You yeah. know, for us, it's about let's build 2020. Let's get some of the partners outside of the casinos so we can go sit down and have some leverage in these conversations when the time is right so that we can leverage all of their licensing and we can then put this market out there you know, across as many states as possible. I think you know, for us, liquidity or at least um, having a good story to tell on why you now want to trade Wall Street as opposed to make a bet on DraftKings, it's because there's 47,000 people trading Monday Night Football tonight. That's cool. I want to be part of that. I want to beat 47,000 people. Exactly. That's, a, that's an incredible point because it's not you against the book. It's you against yep. all these other people, which is way more personal, I guess, like from a, from, a, from a good standpoint, though. Like I would rather play against my friends than the three of us. You know, it's one thing if we, you know, exchange dollars, hey, we'll yep. put five bucks down, let's see what happens. But, you know, especially in that context, I mean, I don't want to play against Vegas because Vegas knows more than me and they're going to win my money most of the time, right? Like it's a very it's easy, truth, right? like that's the truth. Like I don't know enough and they know way too much to the point where I'm going to lose. Like it's, it's inevitable. Like why not play against other people? That way I can use wit and smart and, you know, use my own foresight moving forward. Like, yeah, I know LSU just scored, but I'm pretty sure Clemson's going to come down and yada 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 that kind of thing so it's, i think that's it it's a great way. exactly it's a game, right? yep. we, you know we tried to a lot of this stuff is pulled from the days of online poker and i just think there's so much there that i think can be used in whether it's ball street or other types of formats on how we can all watch and experience sports yeah i love it man and then you also brought another point up storytelling um content creation around what you're doing and i've noticed it a lot more recently maybe i just wasn't paying attention earlier but uh Every of these bigger games, I see you, especially on LinkedIn, make sure to go uh, follow Scott and what he's doing. All the links will be in the show notes, right, Scott? Um, but no, he, uh, you've been posting a lot of kind of, and I love the way you do it. It pretty much just shows the market. You know, it has one line for Ohio State, one line for LSU. Hey, this is when the call was overturned. Hey, this is when Trevor Lawrence ran for a 67-yard touchdown. I hate Ohio State, so I remember all the really good things that happened that game. But like the way you you point it out, and then you just have the you know you have the market lines going up, just like any stock would show, and kind of how what what the market does, and it's really interesting. Because it's, I mean, what is it? Once the sample size gets big enough, that's what most people are thinking, saying, and doing, right? So it's a really cool way to see, like, this is, I'm not going to say what the country was going through, but this is essentially what people were thinking. Like, they thought after that 67-yard touchdown run, Clemson was going to come back, and they did. They thought after that catch was overruled that Ohio State was going to lose, and it happened. It's just really cool, you know, taking a step back and, A, looking at it from a betting and a gaming and a gambling standpoint, but almost even looking at it from, like, just a public standpoint and just kind of seeing it from an emotional standpoint. That's what I think I like the most about what you're, what you're putting up. Yeah. A lot of those numbers, you know, we sort of pitch out that it's win probability, but I think even more so it's, it's sort of fan market confidence. Mm -hmm. You can literally see where the trend of the entire game starts. um, And that the market starts to move in a specific direction for that specific team to either win or lose. And it happens every game. And it's always wild to sort of see where the bottom of the market was or where the top of the market Mm -hmm. was. So for us, it's really thinking about what type of content we can, can create and I think one of the ways you want to angle this is Sports Center meets CNBC. Mm-hmm. We want people to think about how the market traded. If you were someone who was in the market trading, you now have a tangible connection to that game because you remember when the market moved. You remember yeah. when Aaron, Aaron Rodgers threw the interception and the market dropped eight points on you. Yep. And you were part of that and you felt that. So if we can go back and then create a narrative around that, whether it's in the pregame, intragame with a live video stream that we've never own announcers, or even postgame in a recap this is different ways that we can now engage you as a fan and ideally create an ecosystem where you don't need to go to ESPN anymore because you can come to ball street. You can read about Kevin Durant, not playing game three of the NBA finals and see what that did to the market pregame and be a part of a larger context of, like we said, the 47,000 people who were trading that game and all of the different now opinions that are being thrown around because everyone's going to have an opinion. Oh, you know, golden state is way underbought or they're oversold. And, you know, I can't believe, I bought shares and then Clay Thompson got hurt and all the different nuances of what happens, why it happens. And, you know, that I think is the next level that uh, we haven't been able to touch yet because, you know, the current version of how people are experiencing sports through fantasy is simply a roster before the game starts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now we can bring you into the game and ideally make you a player that's competing against everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And a great idea with, I mean, 
not the biggest fan of Jim Cramer, but if you had someone scream at a, you know, scream at the phone while we could just see the live feed of, of what's going on. I mean, that would be super cool. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Have you, I'm assuming you guys have, have, have are some of those things kind of maybe in the works? I mean, there's, there's certainly a list. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. More, I guess that's it's true. More of, it's more of a question of how much can we uh, take on and what uh-huh. capacity we have as far as developmental needs or as far as um, capacity with just sort of hours, you know, we're still very much in the infancy stage. Hopefully yeah. after our first big announcement in Q1 that uh, we'll get a, a huge surge of users to where we can now potentially put 20, 30, 40,000 people into a market. And at that point, we can sort of have the opportunity to, to think about these things a little bit more deeper. Because I'm with you. I think in a, in a perfect world, if we can eventually, which I think will, will, will eventually happen, is that the latency issues will begin to go away. You'll have streaming services that'll give you those fast feeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can overlay commentary on that to where you can drown out Joe Buck and you can just listen to the Wall Street guys talk about the market as you're trading it on your phone or on your, de- on your laptop as you're watching the game. I love it. I love it. And I used to hate Joe Buck. And then I listened to him on part of my take and I, they, they made me like him a little bit, which is scary. I'm not the biggest. I still hate Bob Costas. Still really, really hate Bob Costas. Um, one piece of advice, take it or leave it, time lapse. Just give everybody a time lapse of all those biggest games. No one has not stared at a time lapse for 10 minutes. I don't know. I just watched one the other day. There's so much fun just watching yeah. things. You just put a point. Oh, this is when, you know, this is when Justin Fields threw the interception at the end of the game. And oh no, Ohio State lost. That's always fun. Those are my favorites. We're going to start doing uh, gifts. I think the first one we're going to do is after Monday's game. Very cool. Well, I'll be on the lookout. And I'll make sure to share it as well because again, everybody loves a good time lapse, man. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. So content's coming along the way. Um, so I guess what, what's, it sounds, we've kind of gotten into it a little bit on kind of what Ball Street can be and, and what you want it to be. But like, what is the vision that you have five, 10 years down the road? Betting is pretty much, it's not in its infancy now. It's just a, hey, everybody does it. It's not like that as a taboo anymore. I really don't even think it is anymore. And it's only been a couple of years. But like, what, what is the vision for Ball Street down the road where you can kind of point to it and be like, we're, we're doing the media aspect. We're doing this, we're doing that. Like, what are some of those things that maybe we didn't touch upon yet? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we touched on a couple of them, but I, I, when I think about where we could potentially be, I think that the U S will have some sort of betting exchange, whether that's wall street or some formation of Ball street. Our goal is to be some of the bricks that get put into that wall. Um, I think from a content perspective, we want to be ESPN. There's no reason to go and read an article on ESPN because you're going to need to lead, leave ESPN to come trade on Ball Street or you're going to mm-hmm. leave ESPN to go make a bet on DraftKings. So I think the whole content perspective where it's a one-stop shop, you go on the app and you never leave the app because the app will have all of the information you want. It will have the game itself. It will have the market. Um, and it will have the opportunity now for you to monetize your engagement, whether it's through a free-to-play model or through the obvious real money. Uh, I think when we think about real money, the ultimate goal obviously for us is to be in a position where we can offer contests where players can literally trade Ball Street as their professional job. Love it. Love it. Professional job, trading yeah. sports, man. See, yeah. and that, that's why I like to have these conversations <laughs> because these things don't exist if you don't have the conversations. Um, two more points that I'd like to, to ask. Uh, well, two more questions. Um, one, uh, I assume it's been looked at, but like, especially again with betting and learning more and more about it almost every single day. One thing that people, not like professionals, but people love to look at is over-unders for a season. Um, what is, is something like that in the works where again, it's not as you don't have to sit in front of your phone for four hours. It's something that you do once or twice a week. You kind of, especially yeah. with football, it's once a week for baseball. It would be before or after a game, you know, you don't have to have those markets open all day, all night, but if something happens, then the people can start trading. Is that something that's kind of, you guys, I'm assuming you thought about it, but yep, we, we play with, a, with future markets a little bit. We did Kevin Durant free agency. We did, okay. uh, we did Antonio Davis. We did Kawhi. We did Kyrie. We did when the Antonio Brown saga was happening that day. Oh, we, we opened up a market that was Ooh. pretty crazy for like three or four hours. We got a couple thousand trades in like two hours. It was pretty wild. It was, pretty, it was a lot of fun. Um, we did a Mets. Will they make the playoffs? Oh man, that was, come on. That Why was, the Mets? Why are you doing that to me? Yeah. Uh, Why are you doing that to me, man? I'm a big Mets fan. It's a broke my heart. I mean, they got hot this summer, so we decided to throw it up. That's true. I think we might have jinxed them because after that, it all. (laughs) Um, So the the, what we've learned, at least with the future stuff, is that uh, I don't see people lose interest. Is that I think what we do really well is create volatility in a box. People are coming on because they want the fact that their price can go from thirty to sixty in in two minutes. Okay. Um, And the slow burn. Well, certainly if maybe we had a different incentive out there, could certainly probably create 
the opportunity for players to just log in every 9 a.m. every day and just sort of move their position around because of what happened last night or certainly intergame too because the market would always be open. Um, I think the, the format that at least at this particular point for specific short-term engagement bursts um, is, is better. Um, but the idea of us sort of putting the market that says who's going to win the Super Bowl, um, who's going to win the World Series, who's going to win the NBA Finals, um, certainly available to us. Uh, I think maybe it'll be something that we'll look to do and maybe tweak a little bit when we get a little more, um, when we get more players onto the platform mm-hmm. itself to be able to fill those markets for players to your point who necessarily don't want to have to be on the app uh, for long periods of time. And they mm-hmm. just want to every day make it part of their routine as they're going and, and enjoying sports. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that would be super cool. Uh, it's just very interesting. Cause that's, that's almost how I think of fantasy, right? Like I don't do too much DFS, but I'm in, you know, multiple leagues for everything, but hockey, that's just one I can't do. Cause I don't watch enough hockey, but like it's, it's a, you know, you get up, you check your team. What'd they do last night? Okay, cool. Okay. Let me check my team. Let me set my lineup tonight and we're good to go. Like that's kind of, I can feel people getting into that type of a rhythm, especially with these season long ones. Um, then again, the opposite is like, how do you do fantasy baseball? That's, that's a second job. It's like, yes, but it's my favorite job. That's why mm. I do it because I love it so much. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a market for it, but yeah, obviously do it, do it works. And that's always something because that almost in my mind, that, that is a stock market. You give me all 30 MLB teams, you give me 32 NFL teams, and you just say, you know, this is the probabilities at the beginning of the year, go to town, everybody. Let's just see what happens, who comes out at the end. You know, so stuff like that, that is like a, it's a long game, but I think that's really where people can get super creative, really interesting. People would have sold the Ravens after they got throttled by the Browns, right? Yeah. The people that bought there, they're riding high. They're, 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 they're very happy with what's going on, especially when real money's involved and maybe – Hey, maybe I don't want to take it to the end of the year. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll cash out. You know, exactly. that that point. So that that'd be interesting. Definitely, definitely something that that is cool. And then even again, like playoffs, way shorter time frame, way less you know BS that you have to involve. But that was just something I wasn't sure if you guys did anything for the NFL um, playoffs or even the college football playoffs. Like, okay, it's four teams. Let's who wins of these four teams? Everyone go to town. That that might be like a significantly easier way of doing it before we actually get into the season. We we didn't do it this year um, only because we sort of wrestled with the idea. If you do the college football playoffs, we're going to have individual, we had individual games for the, for the two playoff games. We'll do Monday's game, obviously. Um, So what happens when that broader, when the macro market now trades down to one, does that now become the individual game? And does that now put players at a disadvantage because they didn't trade the mm-hmm. macro they only traded the individual games leading up into the finals mm-hmm. um, so all things we just need to figure out some of the logistics and how yeah. that would all work um but you know i mean we're for, for us it's, it's still about just trying to drive in players into individual markets mm-hmm. for those individual games and this weekend for the first time we're actually going to put spreads on some of the markets because really? all these all these underdogs started winning so we have like nine ten point spreads this weekend yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So this will be the first time we're going to institute spreads. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the front of the, the beginning of the market trades relative to the back of the market. Um, so kind of kind of excited to sort of see how people begin to uh, to experience that with a spread. So mm-hmm. so just just to confirm, when you say spread, like that meaning they would have to cover or not yes. cover. Yeah, okay, exactly. okay, yep. that's pretty cool. So it's less straight up because yeah, I mean yeah, I think Chiefs. And the Ravens are both favored by 10, or at least they were last time I checked, yeah. which is huge. And I think it's kind of ridiculous, but again, I'm, not, I'm, I'm wrong, so it doesn't really matter. Right, so this time we opened, we, one of those games, I think we opened at 9.5, the other at 10.5, and, and we were able then to open the game at 50-50. Mm-hmm. So those, yeah. those games have been trading for a day or two, so there's not too much pre-market action as you would expect. Um, when we do the pick or we do the money line stuff, because there's probably a little bit of opinion now baked into the prices that we've put it at, even if we sort of say, well, this is the prevailing implied odds because of whatever the money line is being offered. Mm-hmm. You still see a lot of volatility. in pre-market. Yeah. Like, like our markets still trade 10% up down um, pretty regularly. Uh, so this is kind of an interesting thing where it's effectively removing volatility in pre-market, but now you potentially could have a huge uptick in, in volatility later in the game that otherwise you wouldn't really be interested in because mm-hmm. the, the favorite is is too far ahead or, or yeah. you know the cover really isn't part of that uh, part of the equation yeah yeah i think that's a really i didn't even think about that but that's a really cool way of doing it that way again yeah as you said like this is 50 50 now we're taking that yeah. beginning win probability out now it's really like do you, good what is it good teams win great teams cover so <laughs> like that's the fun part exactly and this goes back to the whole idea of conventional betting and if you look at our markets now 50 50 you would basically ask the question, why would you 
buy any shares of any teams before the market, before you have mm. any actual information back yeah. to the point of, you know, your buddies are buying first half, second half, when they have information, they hopefully are removing some of the variance and how that team is actually playing that night or during that day. And this is what I think the future is going to be. It's like, why would you ever bet on a team before you actually see them play? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So this is sort yeah. of what we're trying to tap into. And I think this is where a lot of the industry will go. It's just going to take some time to get there. Yeah, I think it will take a minute, but I think it's a great idea. And especially, I mean, man, I wish we had this idea college football season because I, I went to Rutgers. Um, I don't know if you heard, but they're terrible at football. Maybe next year, <laughs> but they we had a bet against one of my friends who went to Ohio State, huge Ohio State fan. He's in my wedding. I was in his, the whole nine. So we're very good friends. But we had a bet that all Rutgers had to do was cover. And he's like, there's no shot. There's no shot. Rutgers scores 21 points, the second most against Ohio State all year. Uh, they cover the bet, or they cover, we win. Like, it, we were watching that game six minutes left. Like, we were on the edge of our seat. It's yeah. like 51 to 20 or whatever. It's some ridiculous score. And we're all just like, oh, my God. So, it's less about the game. And now it's more like, can you cover? And, I mean, it's like Savannah State against, you know, Georgia. Like, can they cover the 48? Like, I don't know. Let's see. Like, that's the fun part, especially with these crazy, stupid blowouts. Well, that's what happened too. I mean, you, in college, especially you have these, cause we're trying to cherry pick the best games and yeah. every week it was like, maybe there's one game and you want to put a second or third game up and it's like, well, it's 14 and a half. It's 17 and a half. And it's like, Jesus, like we can't start putting these games up. because it's like 80, 20, 90, 10. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, these aren't fun. Um, so we started said, well, what can we do? Should we start adding the handicap stuff in? So this is now the first weekend that we're going to try it. We'll go and we'll, we'll take a look at how the, the tape looks and all the trading happens uh, and see if this is something we want to take going forward. Certainly something that we're probably going to look to institute for the NCAA tournament for that first round. You know, Our goal is to put every single one of these games up. And if we have that one versus 16 with a 25-point spread, that's a much different market than it was last yeah. year. Yeah, 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 yeah. UMBC, man. Go yep. Golden Retrievers. That's, right. that's crazy. And those markets are fun, though. When, when, oh, when, yeah. When the underdog – because there's some point in the market when everyone says, oh, my God, the underdog might actually win. And you just see that market go from like six to like – 30 and that's a 5x move in the market so now everyone's involved in trading that specific team mm-hmm. yeah that's crazy man i love it and i think i had another point but i don't remember what it is let me check my notes uh nope i think that's about it man scott this was awesome thank you so much for your time i uh, really appreciate it scott san ah emeterio perfect man yeah frick yeah ceo founder ball street trading everything will be in the show notes check out the website scott sincerely appreciate your time today man this was awesome thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes of For the Love of Sports. Um, on a personal note, I would really like to say thank you and and sincerely, sincerely mean that. This is the actual favorite thing that I get to do. Just talk to incredible people, have great conversations, and I learn and hopefully you're learning something and hopefully we can laugh along the way. So if you could please give this a five-star review, if you could please share this Um subscribe to it do whatever you have to do the more people that do that the more these stories and these conversations get out and i'm really hoping that one day um one day soon this will be something that i get to do as a full-time job um on top of my other full-time job of course but this is an absolute blast sincerely appreciate it check the show notes for all social media handles anything that came from the episode we'll have everything down there and i hope you really did enjoy it so if there's anything i can do better please make sure to reach out uh, my email address michael period one at gmail please make sure to check me out on linkedin uh, on instagram and and just reach out because i'm willing to answer any questions and hey if you got a cool story i'd love to have you on as well so thank you so much sincerely appreciate it and i hope you make it a wonderful day